This week on Southgate Student Ministry Podcast, we walk through 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. And what we do is we go through and, and we really search what it means when it discusses the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we relate it back to Genesis. And then we discuss how that leads in to the warning about antichrists. Stick around, and thank you so much for listening. Over the last several weeks, we've been going through the book uh, of 1 John. Um, And 1 John, so far, he's gone through this idea. If you flip it and look at it, if if you want to go ahead and be opening there, we'll be there in just a minute. Um, If you need a Bible... uh, I can, who needs one, I'll pass these out. Um, but First John is, um, I'm just going to like, you guys might have to do some sharing. I'm going to take it. Um, all right. Yes, that's, here we go. Here we go, boys. Did it move? Yeah. Um, hold up. Did you guys go? Did I have the same quote? Fantastic. All right. All right. But we've been going through, let's listen up. Let's listen up. Um, we've been going through the book of First John. So far, the concepts have not necessarily been like this idea of like, that's totally new, that's totally unique, that's totally crazy. But I think that what I've found, and I hope you've benefited from this study, because when I look at, at things that are going on in life and in the church world and just with people in general, First John speaks to so much of it. The book is, is, is speaking to it. Um, and what John is going to continue to do uh, is he is going to, um, in this moment, he has two things that he's going to hit on at this time. And he's going to start out with a paragraph on something to almost set up his following paragraph uh, on, on what... I teased earlier the idea of the Antichrist. We're going to get to that. Um, And it's going to be near the end of the lesson because John sets up the idea of the Antichrist uh, really well with what he's about to go into. Um, I remember uh, back in April, I had just married Amelia. So, I mean, we were two days married, um, very fresh into marriage. uh, And we were in Florida. Uh, We were about to leave on our cruise ship. It was going to be leaving later that morning, but we weren't yet at the port. And I remember we were standing outside of our hotel, um, and we were standing there in the sun with our coffee. You can see Amelia standing there with her coffee. Uh, she's very, she was very happy that morning. Um, but I remember just sitting there, and we were waiting on the bus to take us to the port, um, and we were so pumped. We were just happy uh, to be where we were. And I remember just standing there and, and looking at Amelia, and, and this is not to be sappy or gross, um, but I remember just standing there and looking at Amelia and saying, like, man, I like, if you had a scale of 1 to 10 happiness, like, I'm at a 10 right now. Like, I'm just fully happy. Um, and I know it was just, the, the idea is to illustrate, like, you want to talk about, like, an idea of happiness, and you guys can think in your lives at moments where you're just like, I'm totally happy. That, to me, is a moment where I was like, I'm totally happy. And maybe you guys can think of, of a place in your life where you were just like, I'm super pumped and I'm super happy. Because in our lives, at points, it's easy to find happiness. It's easy to find joy. We can find it in the little things. Maybe it's in something you enjoy doing. Maybe uh, it's, you enjoy school or sports or whatever it is, um, music, whatever it could be. You find joy in something. It's easy to find happiness and to love parts of life. 
It's easy to fall in love with things that are going on in your life. And we sit here and we say that we love our life and, and all that stuff is going great. And we say that, that, like, man, could it get any better than this? And our society is in this concept and this idea that, like, literally there are points on earth where we love life so much that it can't get better. And I don't mean to call out this artist, but there was, like, a song on the radio, like, a year and a half ago that, like, when I hear it, uh, I'm like, man, like, that song makes me feel a little bit sick. Um, on the inside, if you've heard the song Heaven by Kane Brown, um, like it's a catchy song. It's one that that flows. Um, and but yet the words to this song, and and I'm sorry if you're like, man, that's my song. Like, but the words to this song uh, are a little bit interesting. Not necessarily the most appropriate lyrics, but I'm going to read them because I think it really captures the mind since the song was so successful, of, of our culture. It says, everybody's talking about heaven like they just can't wait to go, saying how it's going to be so good, so beautiful, lie next to you in this bed with you. I ain't convinced. Um, sorry about that. But he says, because I don't know how, I don't know how heaven uh, could be better than this. And this is the type of culture that we live in, right? Where we sit here and we put all our love into things on earth. Like, like God sits here and is like, hey, by the way, I've created a kingdom, I've created an eternity, I've created like total joy for you guys, yet we're going to sit here and like, like, like everyone's talking about heaven, like they can't get, wait to go, but like heaven's not better than what I'm doing right now here on earth. It's this idea that we're like fully okay with loving our life here on earth. And what John is about to do is he's going to go through and, and almost, and, and if you remember from the first week, we talked about how John was like, hey, or how, how the book of John or first John and like second and third John, um, they really focus on the teachings of Jesus. And so what John's about to do is he's going to go in and reemphasize the idea that Jesus, uh, that Jesus made on putting your treasure um, on, not on earth, but in, in heaven. But he's going to use a little bit different wording. So I want us to go to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 15. Um, it's already up there. Uh, but 1 John 2, 15, this is a common verse that, that, that we hear a lot. Um, it's the idea of do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want us to stop right there for just a minute. He starts out this idea with, do not love the world. Do not love the world. And I don't know about you guys, but to me, that's not a huge challenge. All right, you're telling me don't love the world. It's easy not to love the world. There are a lot of things in this world that I don't love. Um, there are a lot of things that I don't want to have to deal with uh, at all. And then it goes on and says, or the things in the world. So wait, John, you're writing this to me right now. Oh man, sorry about this. Um, who's, who's doing that? Is it? It's not, is it anyone? Interesting. Um, can I read after? Oh. That's odd. Oh, there it is. All right, sweet. Let's refocus. Let's refocus. Sorry about that. Um, but he goes on. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Let's refocus. But he goes on and he says, So do not love the world or the things in the world. 
And for me, it, it, this is where the challenge takes place. And maybe you're the opposite of me. Maybe you are sitting there and you say, well, no, for me, the challenge is do not love the world. I just really love the world. But when I see don't love the things in the world, I'm like, man, that means I can't like national parks or, or like roller coasters or, um, which I love roller coasters, but yesterday, one of my favorites was announced as getting torn down. I was like, oh, um, but Sorry, but like, or maybe it's like a bypass hamburger, which is also delicious and wonderful. And it's like, I love those things. And it goes on uh, and says like, like, if you love the things in the world, that's where the challenge becomes tough for me. Because it's like, wait, you're telling me not to love those things? You're telling me not to love like people around me? Anyways, that's a little bit tough for me. And then it ends that verse by saying, oh, by the way, if anyone loves the world or the things in the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And so, John, what you're saying to me is, like, if I love the things in the world, if I love, like, all those great things that I just described, then I can't love God? You're, wait, John, you're saying that if I love my wife, because let's be fair, the people that are around us are a part of the world. You're saying that if I love my wife... Or if I love you guys, that, like, I can't love you because they're part of the world. And I think that sometimes when we read this passage, we can sit there and if we really overthink it, we can get to a point where we're like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think I can love God and love other things. Yet, thankfully, he's not sitting here saying this. What he's trying to get across is that there are things in this world that are full of sin. And I don't think that's a new concept to many of us. When we look at things in the world, we can understand, hey, there are things that are sinful and there are things that are not. And John is sitting here saying, and he's about to break down what it means to be a part of the world. He goes on and says, um, for all that is in the world. Uh, and, and so what he's about to do is saying, okay, this is what is going to be considered the world. Um, and he goes on. Let's keep going. I'll restart. For all that is in the world, this is verse 16, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So what I think we can do here is we can sit here and say, all right, John wants us to say, hey, don't love the world or the things in the world. Okay, well, what does that qualify? And he says, well, I'm going to tell you what it qualifies. Uh, here they are. He says, the desires... Of the, of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And what I want us to do this evening um, as we move throughout this book is, is I think these three ideas really are going to play an impact on our Christian walk that are really going to influence who we are. He starts out with the desires of the flesh. Now, the desires of the flesh uh, are pretty simple. It's just the idea of like something you can indulge in. So maybe um, maybe it's like like having too much of a certain drink till you get to a point uh, of drunkenness. Maybe it's, um, it's engaging in sexual immorality. Maybe it's just spending an obnoxious amount of money um, to find like joy and pleasure. Maybe that is the desire of the flesh that he's sitting here talking about. This is what he's referencing when he says the desires of the flesh. Then he goes to the desires of the eyes. So anything that's pleasing to the eyes. This is another thing that he says is of the world. Now, when I hear that, or when I read this, it's like, to me, it's like, what's the difference in the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes? When he talks about the desire of the eyes, it's this idea of like, like things that you're laying eyes on and you're like, 
I want that. So maybe it's wanting something on an envious or greedy way um, where you are just desiring it. Maybe it's, it's witnessing something um, by your choice that is, that is not going to lead you in the right direction. It's, it's just this idea of desiring something that you can't have. Um, and your eyes are, are seeing something um, that are causing you to stumble. Then it gets to the one that I think probably affects us in this room. Very difficult. Because I think it hits every single one of us. When it gets to the pride of life. I want to spend a little bit more idea on this time of the pride of life. Because what he's doing with the idea behind the pride of life is somebody who lives to be greater than everyone else. Like, their goal is to just... Be greater. I, I was reading um, commentaries because they're great. Um, and, and some, like the person said, the idea behind the pride of life is somebody who lives to be greater than others, mostly by impressing others through outward appearances, even if by deception. And so when we think about this idea of the pride of life, when we read it through the first time, the thing that we're not thinking about with this is just like, like, I don't know about you guys, before I really was studying for this class, I had never thought about the pride of life of anything but the pride of life. But when I sit here and I read this idea of the pride of life, I think that, that when we sit here and we have the idea of, I want to be something in this world that's greater than other people, that's when it challenges us, which is what the idea of what it is. Because let's be truthful and honest for a moment. Every single one of us wants to be greater than other people. And you're like, no, I don't. I don't want to be greater than other people. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be that other person. But think about it. You want to get a better grade than other people. And when people say, hey, what'd you get on that test? You can be like, like 100. What'd you get, a 60, you loser? Um, when I was in college, I was in a history class. And I loved history, so I was an epic nerd in that class. And I loved, like, everyone else was getting, like, 65s. And I was like, and they would be like, what'd you get, Ben? And I'd be like, 97, like, come at me. Um, it was great. It was like a moment where I was like, yes, feel this intensity. Um, but, like, we want to start over other people on the sports team. We, we want to get that role in that play. We want to make more money than other people. We want to drive a nicer car than other people. Why? Because we want to be greater than others. We have a desire, or maybe some of us have a desire to be famous. Why? Because when you're famous, you're better than other people. What makes a famous musical artist famous? It's not because they're a trash musician. It's because they have a skill set that sets them above others. And they're willing to do anything it takes to get to that point. The love of this world, John is saying is the pride of life. And if we sit here and we let the pride of life take over who we are, when we let our desires to be greater than everyone else get in the way, it says that we, uh, that we love the world. Now John, and this, this is super cool to me, John in this moment um, might have been referencing back to something he might have not been. Um, keep your finger in First John, like we're coming back there. Flip over to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter 3, I think the Eve, the wife of Adam, illustrates this really, really well. Um, and I think that this is where we can really uh, build on this idea in our lives. 
Um, we need to take this super seriously because what we're going to see is we're going to see Satan and a human being in this moment. Which when we think about our lives, we are full every single day of seeing Satan and ourselves, human beings. Um, and I want us to read because what is about to take place is due to Satan coming in and saying, let me control you a little bit. And this is going, we'll see this direct correlation to, um, to what John is talking about uh, in 1 John 2. So I'm going to read verse 6 all the way through, see if you catch the things that it references, um, and then we'll go back through them. It says, verse 6, So when the woman saw, so when Eve saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. When she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Did you catch him? So when the woman saw that it was good for food. Now, a first reaction could be like, like, hey, she sees it, and it's like, oh, the 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 uh, gonna, the desire of the the desire of the eyes. Well, think about this. What was she thinking? She was like, that would be delicious. She was ready to indulge into this piece of fruit. She was ready to partake. She wanted it. She wanted to taste it. This is that desire of the flesh. And then it goes on, and it says in that verse, um, so, and that it was a delight to the eyes. It looks great. I want to, like, imagine, I don't know if you guys have ever, like, had a massive delicious steak sitting in front of you. Like, like to me, it's like, oh, like steak, like, I'm eating that. Um, it's delicious to the eyes, uh, but it also looks beautiful. Or maybe you get a plate and your first reaction is, got to take a picture of it, boom, post it. Um, like, that's the idea here, is that it looks great to the eyes. It, it looks like it would taste um, delicious. And then also it goes on, also it goes on and says uh, that, it, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. This idea, wait a minute, Satan had just said to her, hey, by the way, this tree, when you eat this, like it puts you on the same level of God. And so Eve is like, whoa, I get that knowledge. If I eat this, I'm better than every other thing in this world because I'm enlightened. You know what? I'm even equal to God. And she sits here and says, I'm going to eat this fruit. And she's tempted with the pride of life. And so we can go through all these things and realize that, that like, the biggest takeaway from this, when I see these correlations, is that when we look at our lives, Satan is going to come at us and he's going to use these exact same tactics, the exact same methods that he used on Eve 6,500 years ago. And he's going to take those methods and he's going to bring them to us every single day. The desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the, and the pride of life. And he's going to tempt us with those things every single moment of every single day. And the disheartening thing is that when we walk into our schools, when we're surrounded by people who, who are our friends, who are our, our colleagues, what they are doing is they're tempting us with these things. They're tempting us with these things every moment. They are essentially Satan in our lives at points. And we can sit here and we've studied his playbook. 
We know what he's going to do. We know that he's going to come at us with the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. We know those are the things that we're going to be tempted with, that he's going to attack us with. So what are we doing to protect ourselves from those things? What are we doing to stand up and say, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take every uh, measure to make sure that those three things are what I'm going to protect myself from. That those three things are what I'm going to put every effort I can into stopping. Why? Because in verse 17 in John chapter 2, sorry I flipped back over there, it says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. If we can avoid the world so the love of the Father is in us, and prepare ourselves to defend against those attacks Satan is throwing at us, we will abide with the Father in heaven. If not, it says that those things along with us will pass away. And what John is about to do is he's about to transition into something um, that, that we hear all the time. He's about to transition to this idea of the Antichrist, um, which is something that we hear, and, and, uh, and the idea that he's coming out of this is, okay, here are the temptations you're going to be faced with, the things you are going to be challenged with. By the way, if you can defend yourself from those things, what I'm about to tell you about, you'll be good. You'll be fine. It's not going to be something that you are going to deal with at all. I want us to go ahead, um, no, we're just going to go with it. Um, for me personally, is Braxton in here? Where's the seventh grade class? Right there, oh. They're down there. They're down there. That was intense. A reoccurrence of Jody. Hey. Um, this is about to be very stif very stereotypical of a youth minister, and and uh, and I'm like when I say this, it's not because of the stereotypical youth minister ways, uh, but I genuinely hate Snapchat. I hate it. Um, it's trash. Okay. Uh, so for for me to sit here and say that Snapchat is trash uh, means that, in my opinion, I'm 100% correct, um, and and I'm sure that you guys. I'm sure that you guys have heard, like, like Snapchat's of the devil, don't use it. Like, while I can agree to that on some point, like, I'm not even coming at it from that. I think it's a trash form of communication. It's, it's incredibly boring. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not good, like, it's not a good way to communicate at all. Uh, you just sit there, your conversations disappear, you have to tap them to save them. Like, it's not, it's not an easy way to communicate at all. A lot of times you use Snapchat uh, to send out a streak, which is so pointless, I can't even begin to describe it. Um, they're a waste of time, and if you have them, quit them, okay? Um, but I think it's silly. And I, I, I just think it's a dumb form of communication. Let's, let's reel it back in. Let's reel it back in. Um, in the same way, I would sit here and trash on Snapchat, because I truly do think it's terrible. Um, what we're going to do is see people in this time period that John is about to reference 
and he's going to say that they are anti-Christ. And in the same way, I just compared it to, to myself disliking Snapchat and hating Snapchat and, and really wishing that Snapchat would disappear off the face of the planet. Um, these are the type of people who wish that Christ's name had never been brought into existence. What I want us to do real quickly is just kind of discuss uh, this idea, what it really means to be an antichrist. Um, this, is a, this is a name that when we hear it normally, our skin is like, like oh, the antichrist. And like, like, it's like a phrase, and like, like we always picture it being this like terrible monster that marches into the door and is like going to destroy everybody. Um, and we'll see maybe why in just a minute. Um, but this is the idea that we get. Yet it's only used four times in scripture, all in First John. Um, so by the same author, uh, it, the Antichrist is stated, and we'll see this in a second, as one who denies the Father and the Son. Um, he's, the Antichrists are called liars, uh, and they are deceivers who have gone out into the world. And so what I want us to do is, is I want us to read this passage. Because I think that, that the passage speaks for itself in this case. Um, and I want us to read it, and we'll clarify some things that need clarified. Um, and we'll get to it in just a second. So 1 John chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, uh, we know that it is the last hour. Now I want us to stop here for just a second. Because for a lot of people, their immediate reaction is like, okay, Antichrist is brought up, and when's the Antichrist brought up? In the last hour. All right, so you can see that it, it talks about the last hour. It talks about the last hour at the end of the passage as well. And so a lot of people are like, well, they'll sit here and talk about the Antichrist, and they'll bring him up, and they'll say, no, the Antichrist will show up in the final hour, and he's going to destroy people, and he's going to be a vicious creature, and... and for some reason, I want to do like the Antichrist, like that type of voice every time I picture it, because um, that's what I picture taking place. But this idea of the last hour is very confusing to a lot of people, because it's like, well, is he here now? Has he been here in the past? Will he come at some point in the future? What is it? What's actually taking place here, and to me, this was probably one of the coolest points uh, and life-changing points of this study for me is John was living in a constant state of expecting Jesus to return. So when he sits here and, and says, uh, like, the last hour, he's not sitting here calling out a time period that's going to exist. What John is doing is he's saying, hey, we at this time look like, hey, we're in the final hour before Jesus returns. Jesus is going to return within this hour. And think about how life-changing of a thing that is. You're sitting there in that moment, and you have the mindset of it's the final hour no matter what. You might not even think in your mind, like, man, Jesus is coming back in an hour. But you keep in your mind that you're in the last hour, and it helped them in their Christian life. And it brings up a really challenging point for us. Do we live our lives like we are in the final hour. Do we live our lives like we're in the final hour? Because 
Think about it for a minute. If you were to be in a twilight zone and somebody were to come back to you right now and could tell you with all honesty, like, hey, in one hour, Jesus is going to return and like every, the world's going to end in exactly one hour. What would happen in your life? How would your life change? What would, what would you do? What could you change in your own life for the final hour? Would you get baptized and, and become a Christian? Would you, would you change everything about you? Would you even care that you were in the final hour of your life as Christ? Because what John is sitting here saying is he's constantly living in that final hour. He's constantly living in that point where he's like, man, Christ can come back an hour from now. I could be in the last hour of my life. And think about it for these early Christians who are getting persecuted, who have people coming into them who are sitting there mocking them for their faith, who are sitting there saying that Christ has never existed, who are sitting there tossing them in prison and, and executing them. Imagine it for them. For them to be able to sit there and say, okay, this is the final hour. I can handle this for one more hour before Christ comes back. And when I look at it in our lives, when we sit here in our lives and we look at how we go through our day, if we had this mindset of the final hour like John and the Christians did at that time, it would sure be a whole lot easier to say no to things. Oh, I, I, I want to go do this with my friends. I know that's a sin. And it could be my final hour. I probably shouldn't go do that. I want to live my life doing these type of things, but man, it's, it could be my final hour. Jesus could be back in an hour. What could I do to better serve him in this hour? Do you get the concept? If we constantly live with this idea that an hour from now, Jesus is going to return, how does our life change? How does our life change if in one hour Jesus comes back? Because this is a very possible thing that John is sitting here and he's listening or writing these things and he's thinking about the teaching of Jesus where Jesus said, I'll come soon. Oh, and by the way, I'm coming like a thief in the night. You have no idea. Oh, so it's the final hour all the time before Jesus returns. How are we going to live our lives? This concept, when you think through it, can be life-changing if you let it. When I was sitting here studying for this lesson, I never thought about this before. This moment, when I read this for the first time like this in my whole life, it changed my whole perspective on things. It put me in a point where I realized if I live like it's the final hour at all times, I'm going to go my very hardest to make sure that I'm living for Christ. And when I'm going and living life like it's the final hour, suddenly walking in the light like he's just talked about, and we see him bring it back, and it's constantly in this full circle, it's this beautiful idea that we are going to walk in the light if we constantly live like it's our final hour. It's life-changing. Let's keep going to, to 1 John. Uh, we'll keep reading right here. And like I said, this is... Uh, we're just going to read it, um, and there's a lot of stuff, and hey, listen to this. If you're sitting there and I don't answer a question, and you're like, hey, I didn't get that question answered, treat Tuesday, text me. We'll go through it and answer And that's not, like, that's not me plugging it. That's, hey, if you have a question, let's discuss it. Don't, don't let it out of your mind. Write it down tonight 
and text me and say, hey, can we take a Tuesday and go do this? Um, let's read this, though. Starting in verse 19, they went out from us, talking about the Antichrist, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So you've been baptized, the Spirit has come down on you and anointed you. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. Did you just get that? Who is the liar, but who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, if, uh, abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So he goes on and he hits the idea of the Antichrist heart. And I know that was uh, some reading there. But I think it is pretty self-explanatory. Because a lot of times when we sit here and we think about the Antichrist being this, this terrible, awful individual who's going to come and destroy us. Because that's what we've been like given this idea of in, in our life. Um, it almost doesn't match the scripture at all. Now, I think that there are definitely a few theories here, but I'm going to go with one of them tonight for time's sake. Um, uh, a lot of people um, look at it in two ways, either the opposite of Jesus or the instead of Jesus as the Antichrist. So a lot of people will look at it as uh, the opposite of Jesus, which is what makes people think that he's going to be a supremely like exotic being who is just going to be totally evil, um, like Hitler. For example, as much as Jesus did good, Antichrist will do bad. As much as Jesus was beautiful and attractive uh, in his character, the Antichrist will be like ugly and repulsive. As much as Jesus spoke only the truth, the Antichrist will speak only the lies. The actual uh, like that is too much of the opposite of Jesus. What the Antichrist is more described here is as an instead of Jesus. It's this idea of he's going to look wonderful and great. He's going to be around us every single day. Yet he's going to reject Jesus. They're the ones who are going to say that their opinions mean more than the word of God. Not only because they are against what Jesus says, but because they're against Jesus in general. And they believe essentially that they are God. And in the same way I pretended to be very against Snapchat, I still don't love it, um, but in the same way I pretended to be very against it, they are very against Jesus, very against Christ. And John is going to say, like, hey, these people are the people who are around you, they're the deceivers, they're walking around you. And so I want you to think about your life and think, who in your life is the Antichrist? Who do you go to school with? Who is around you? Who do you work with? That when you look at them... You're like, man, they are somebody who rejects Christ and puts themselves on the same level as God. We don't have time to keep going tonight. But I want us to remember this. The Antichrist is nothing to be afraid of. The Antichrist is nothing to be afraid of. Why? Because 
he, th those who are the Antichrist are nothing compared to our God. And what we would keep on reading if we had time is realizing, hey, the Spirit's upon us. We have God living inside of us. We can destroy them. We just have to learn how to not let those three things of the world take us over. Because then the Antichrist has no shot against us. Let's destroy the Antichrist by living as someone who's on the side of Christ. Thank you so much for listening today. If you've missed the last several weeks, be sure to go back and, and listen to see what you missed as we study through the book of 1 John. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue to study the book of 1 John. Thank you guys so much and have a great rest of your day.